0: Hello and welcome to the Inside Events Podcast powered by Swapcard. This podcast is made for and by event professionals to deep dive into our industry and discuss how events are ever evolving. You'll learn more about new business models, hybrid experiences, and tech stacks. You're listening to me, Bob Chain, strategic account manager here at Swapcard, the leading virtual AI powered event and networking platform that propels hybrid experiences into the future. Good afternoon, marketing and event professionals, and welcome to the Inside Events podcast powered by Swapcard. I'm so excited to be welcoming everyone here to Evolve 2.0 for the special live recording of Inside Events. Once again, I'm your host, Bob Chain, a strategic account manager here at Swapcard to help navigate the exploration into all things events, marketing, and hybrid. There are so many interesting innovations going on within our space, and we're thrilled at the opportunity to highlight some of the top minds within the industry and lean on their expertise to drive innovation within the space. For those of you joining us live today at Evolve 2.0, please be sure to use the Q&A function throughout this entire episode to submit your questions, which may be chosen to be asked live on air to our incredible guests today. In addition, I'm so excited to share that we have Chris from Live Illustrations here who will be developing our live sketch during this episode. With this in mind, I'm thrilled to introduce the first of our two guests here this new year and with each having their own incredible backgrounds in the global event space. First, I would like to welcome Patty Olinger, the Executive Director of the Global BioRisk Advisory Council, also known as GBAC, a division of ISSA, the world's leading trade association for the cleaning industry. GBAC is recognized as a leader in training, education, biorisk management, dec- decontaminization, infection, and control disciplines. Patty, welcome to the Inside Events podcast.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion today.
0: Now, Patty, I spoke about your involvement with GBAC and would love to just provide a little bit of additional detail on your background. As I know, before joining GBAC, you were at Emory University here in the United States, as well as part of the Communicable Disease Unit, which cared for the four Ebola patients also back in 2014.
1: Yes, I was responsible for all of environmental health and safety at Emory University and providing support into the healthcare unit, which included the SCDU, or Serious Communicable Diseases Unit. My personal specialty is biorisk management. I lead the ISO team that developed the international standard on biorisk management in 2019. And it was learned a lot of lessons that from that, prior to joining Emory, I was with pharmaceutical industry. So I have had a very broad background within, especially infectious disease protection, research, biosafety, and infection prevention measures.
0: That's really exciting and definitely a background that I'm sure a lot of our guests today being primarily planners and organizers are really interested and sure that it will be something that we're going to be diving into very deeply as well. Our second guest as well today will be actually one of our colleagues here at Swapcard, Andy Johnson, who is a global strategic account manager based out of the United Kingdom. His background is focused on event technology and production at in-person events. And since joining Swapcard, he has really worked closely with some of our largest partners to strategically envision what this next evolution of our industry could be, and really how technology can start to play a role in getting us back safely to in-person events. Thank you very much uh, for joining us today, Andy.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Rob. Yeah, thanks a lot for the for the introduction. It's a pleasure to join the podcast today. I'm sorry about my internet playing up in the area today, so I'm, I've just gone back onto picture only. But yeah, really looking forward to the session. And thank you so much, Paddy, for joining us today. And I look forward to contributing to this great topic. And thank you very much.
0: No, th- thank you very much, Andy, for that. And I guess to really kick us off, Paddy, I-, I would love to get a deeper vision into the evolution of our industry and Knowing that today your work with GBAC, there are many different tracks that they have towards accreditation, either meant for the GBAC STAR, which is for facilities and services providers, but also the GBAC Academy and certification for individuals. Really, what is the difference between these two key programs for those who may not know? And most importantly, what is the importance to becoming a accredited facility or staff?
1: Ah, it really has evolved. When COVID-19 hit, we had been doing really more, what I would call boutique training, more high-level response and remediation type situations. And when COVID hit, it just immediately shifted to the need for online and also the whole industry, every industry that you could think of was reaching out saying, we need more, we need help. And so we shifted to online training. And that is our trained technician. So a GBX uh, trained technician. And it is really geared toward anybody in the industry. We're in the process of updating the module right now because things change so drastically. Over 20,000 people have gone through that module worldwide. And again, it gives people an understanding of how you become infected, how you can protect yourself, and how to do a risk mitigation strategy. Well, we found really immediately that people wanted um something for their facilities. And that was where GBEX Star came into play. And knowing my background in management systems, John Barrett, our executive director at ISSA, said, Patty, we need something now. Not in six months, but right now. So we put STAR together and immediately we started having the Hyatt Hotels committing worldwide, American Airlines, the Miami Dolphins, the Hard Rock Stadium, the Staples Center in Los Angeles. We now have 23 of the 30 NBA teams and arenas that are on board. But I, I think all of the major, large convention centers. We then shifted again because the service providers who provide services to a lot of those, both small and large said, what about me? (laughs) I want something too, a third party that can look at my program and say I'm ready or that we are prepared, we're trained, we're ready to help and assist people reopening and not just reopening, but also to that prepare, respond. And we always said recover, but I will say sustain. And that's something that I'm sure we'll get into later, that whole ability to sustain the programs that you're in and also to bring back trust and care that we're ready to reopen and that their facilities and the services that are being provided are there to instill that um, confidence and safety in that. The other thing, and I know that I have a lot of event planners in on this, is that we're about ready to announce our first event group that is gone through STAR and it's with USA Triathlon. And I've had several other event groups come and say, as an event planner, we want something. We wanna be able to tell our clients that we're paying attention to what's necessary, not only to COVID-19, but something that our people who are involved with our events, who are coming to our events can feel comfortable as well.
0: I, I love that. And I think the two ideas that you mentioned, the idea of risk mitigation and sustainability are very interesting, mm-hmm. especially as we start looking at the potential light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine rollout and everything going on. People are going to start to shift the conversation, not only to how do we go back to safety, but also around prevention as well. And, and even looking at the next pandemic and things along those lines. And I know you wrote an article actually back in January of 2020 on this very topic, which unfortunately became very timely looking back to that time. And you mentioned that a lot of this insight was coming from your experience working on the Ebola outbreak and had some very interesting insights about how we, as even human beings and humanity and culture in general, have really shifted our society view over times between the importance of maybe healthcare innovations and sanitization as a whole. I would love for you to expand on this idea for the audience and really see where we land today.
1: Well, if you go back in history, back at the early 1800s, and I don't mean to go back and give everybody a history lesson, but you can actually Google search and look at like the international health regulations and sanitization rules. If you look back in that time frame there was an awareness that there was a connection between sanitization and health. And you can look at the streets in New York City and other cities around the world, and they were filthy, they were horrible. And during this period of time, new rules went into place, new regulations, new guidelines, and you saw very quickly those um, cities become much cleaner. And you saw a very big decrease in things like typhoid and cholera, and even tuberculosis at times really coming down. So they saw that connection between sanitization and health. And then as time was going on, we saw the innovation of antibiotics and vaccines, and we really saw a shift into healthcare, which you know made sense. But what we're finding now is that our world is so connected, and we saw that with this pandemic. It doesn't take long for a virus to move from one country to another. And that whole aspect, it's not to say that we have forgotten about cleanliness, but we really, if it looked pretty and it smells good, hey, we're good to go. And not looking at, are we doing hygienic cleaning? Are we cleaning for health? And are we ensuring that our facilities are sanitized to that hygienic standpoint to now protect us going forward and a lot of our resources had been really focused on our healthcare, rightfully. We forgot about the folks who are at the front lines, who are protecting us on a day to day basis, and the facility design and construction to support that as well.
0: That's really interesting. And especially as we start to look at these next kind of first steps back to either face to face engagements and things along those lines. And actually, this is one of our first uh, questions coming in from the audience here today, is should we be limiting attendance and encouraging international participants to, say, attend virtually, at least in the very, very near term? And going along those lines, how should we start to approach the different types of events, knowing that probably there's going to be different standards for, say, a auto show than maybe a food show? (laughs)
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think some of the food shows, as much as we all want to go to them, are going to be more challenged than, like you said, an auto show. What we teach, and I think this is a big component of what we need to embrace, is education. Is One of the things that we teach is how to do a risk assessment so that we can look at what the needs are and what would be the hazards associated with either the particular gathering the venue that you're looking at, and what it is that the show is going to be. So from that standpoint, knowing what we can put in place, those mitigation measures, to be able to then decide what's the capacity that we're looking at. I think we we too often want to have that prescriptive checklist that helps us And unfortunately, with an infectious disease and something like this, it's sometimes difficult to get to that. And it comes down to being better educated and understanding what the needs are.
0: That's great. And I think, Andy, being an event technology provider, I would love to hear your thoughts on the idea of how we can really help organizations plan for global-based experiences knowing that with these new technologies the ability to uh, potentially have people in a true hybrid uh, environment where there are some in person in a face-to-face environment while as others collaborating and communicating say virtually.
2: Yeah I see as we are opening up in some of the other regions that swap card operate in we've seen a very cautious approach to events. A lot of those events they've been restricted by Uh, their movements, potentially when they can arrive at the venue, as well as how they network with people. And the one thing that uh, Swapcard and other platforms allows the audience to do is select who they're going to meet, how they're going to meet, where they're going to meet. So an example of that would be potentially that you would be in zones, zones of people walking around the venue. So technology allows that sort of second Um, degree of control, but it allows those extra sort of peace of mind of ensuring that if you are in a bubble with, say, 50 other delegates, you don't then interface with other people. So I think that technology allows that sort of second degree of comfort as well, if you like.
0: And I think one of the interesting things, Andy, that you just said there was this idea of innovation and these type of new technologies and things like that. So Patty, I would be interested to hear, especially knowing the complexity of not only the facilities and architecture and things like that, all these other varying factors that you already mentioned, but also all the various teams that are involved in the multiple touch points from an organizer to a general services contractor, to a facility, to hotels as well, and travel and transportation. Just love to hear your thoughts on what innovations are you seeing, not only from, say, a disinfectation standpoint and cleaning perspective, but also more a prevention factor today.
1: It's very interesting because we're seeing this as a a journey. And we've even had, and this surprised us, where destinations wanted to be GBEC, STAR, cert accredited so we have several destinations like Dallas and Baltimore and across the world that have said, hey, how can we get our communities to be GBX star so that people want to come? You're absolutely right. What we're also seeing, and I guess if there is a silver lining in a pandemic such as this, we're seeing some extremely innovative technologies. And it, anything, some of them are still in, in research, but for instance, here in the United States, We saw recently an emergency exemption for a company for air treatment, for antiviral. First ever that the EPA has even looked at. And once one comes, there will be more. Surface protectants for antiviral, not antimicrobial, which it's a virus is a microbe, but antiviral claims. And again, here in the United States, some EPA. And we're seeing that around the world as well. We're seeing some of the new spraying technologies that are coming into play. The robotics, the both from a maintenance standpoint, and I love the fun with the technology. To me, that is just the fun part of, of being with ISSA and seeing all the vendors and what they're coming up with. But being able to know that within the restrooms or in your facility, certain materials are being um, consumed and that you can say, oh, I just got an alert that I need to go fill the hand sanitizer on the second floor or at the showroom here. We're starting to see some of that technology. The other thing to help, and we're actually going to put together a little think tank on what does the short-term reopening a show look like. We've been talking about temperature monitoring. I know that there was a show in Orlando that recently required that everybody have a COVID test within, I think, three days. And how does those logistics look? How does that make the individuals feel as they're coming to the facility? Is there a cost? How does it all work? And I think we're going to see some short-term issues and with the new technologies that are coming out, they will... As long as we're transparent about it, people will have that then understanding, feeling comfortable and safe as they return to mass gatherings.
0: And I really like the point that you just made there about transparency, and I think that's something that we're definitely going to revisit here in a few minutes. But I just wanted to also give Andy the opportunity as being a technology provider and an innovator within the space, how are you approaching this idea of infection prevention factors and finding ways maybe for event technologies to, say, minimize potential physical touch points or the passing of a microphone within a ballroom or even passing of business cards, which were so common with face-to-face experiences pre-2020?
2: Yeah, I work in a co working space here where I am, and nobody can see that. And a lady just came and started vacuuming, so I do apologize if there's a little background noise, <laughs> but at least she's keeping the place clean, Paddy. But yeah, I definitely think that swap card was evolved as a way of limiting those touch points cards and brochures and those sorts of things. So the more that we embrace, and as a, an event professional, I saw that happen over the years. We really wanted to do it, but we never really needed to do it. Now we really do need to take those bold steps. And
0: I think going along those lines, one of the questions that came in from the audience was surrounding some of the reopening that's going on in the United Kingdom right now. And knowing that everyone is taking their part in trying to go back safely. I know I mentioned it earlier, the organizers having a part, the venues, having a part in all of these different cities. Patty, in your opinions, where do you think this onus should lie or really who should be that head of the planning structure? Is it on the venues to make sure that these events are going and being adhered to? Is it from the organizer side? Is it really a collaborative effort? Just love to hear your thoughts on this.
1: I'll I'll take it even a step further than that. It is a collaborative effort. This is a team that we need to be looking at it from a standpoint. The venues need to be prepared. Uh, They need to have the structure of the program in place. The service providers, if they're contracting out, let's say the service for a particular show, needs to understand the requirements. The show organizer needs to say, yep, I'm expecting this to go this way. And then we as participants need to do our part as well, wearing our masks, social distancing, washing our hands, not touching our face while we're at the shows. Really all behaving, I guess, it's a behavioral issue when it comes down to the individual part, but it is definitely a collaborative team effort.
0: No, that's very interesting. And obviously, as we're starting to look at time progressing and starting to look at almost these policies that will coming out and hopefully start to persist over time what are you almost envisioning as things that will most likely stay with us from these type of organizational tactics to Mm -hmm. allow for a more scalable response hopefully in the future
1: so how i usually explain if you forget about covid which we'd all like to but if we think about a flu a normal flu year And if we can shift into hygienic cleaning per se, you have routine hygienic cleaning. And with that, people understand how you can validate and verify what that means. And then you have the flu season start and you may add into your regular procedures a disinfection step along with your hygienic cleaning Then let's say it's really endemic and you're going to have a big show and we're right in the midst of flu season. How are you going to deal with that? You may have cleaning cycles a little bit more. You may end up having more disinfection steps. It's a performance-based aspect. And then you have the full-blown pandemic preparedness response situation where you have a problem and you really need to have something taken care of. And it could be COVID. It could be the flu. It could be a norovirus on a cruise ship. How are you going to respond to that? Thinking about it ahead of time, putting in place those strategies really helps. And we're taking people through the STAR program. That's where we're trying to get them is to start thinking proactively to be able to then be reactive.
0: And I think going along those lines, I uh, know that you spoke at Expo a couple months ago and there were some very interesting questions around the idea of what some could consider as sanitation theater versus Mm -hmm. other mitigation tactics and what have been proven as being most effective. What are your thoughts on the idea of cleaning in front of others versus maybe having them done after hours?
1: If you remember what I said in the very beginning at at that show is when COVID first hit and my background in environmental health and safety and managing industrial hygiene teams for years, it was one of those things where I said, when I first looked at it, we called it hygiene theater. And it came to us with a negative connotation that people were just doing it to for show. And as time went on, what we're finding, and when surveys have come up from some very large manufacturers worldwide and service providers, they're finding that people want to see things. They want to see people cleaning. They want to see the restrooms clean. If the restrooms aren't clean, the whole thing is, you know what, they just expect that the rest of the facility is also not clean. So... Hygiene theater for me has shifted during this pandemic from something that had negative connotation to what is it that transparently we are showing, not trying to make something up, but how can we show people that we're ready? And also the other term that I used a lot uh, during that talk was frictionless is how can we make that whole experience frictionless, no touch points using our phone for paying and how can we see success that way?
0: And as we go ahead and shift the conversation a little bit back to Andy, I'm going to ask the uh, producers if we could pull up a Chris from Live Illustrations doodles here. These are great and just really capturing the conversation going on today. As we're talking about this idea of scalability, Andy, I'd love to see what you working with your clients on to have technology push the limits of what can be achieved, especially today as we're looking for a safe rollout and then even... I would say even more long-term at the opportunities that could exist from ingraining a technology solution to our face-to-face events.
2: Yeah, I think that the process is going to really start at the sort of the registration level. And one of the big things that we're um, working on at the moment, and we've just launched actually, Baptiste has just launched our 365 rollout is that we will be ingrained in that process right from the beginning of the registration process right up to the end. So that integration will not just be happening because you've got your phone, but it will be how do I set myself up for the day? How can I register for the event to ensure that I'm looking and going to the right places? But we're seeing this at a global level where attendees are choosing what of the questions on the feed was, I'm going to now choose which event I'm going to go to based on whether that's safe or, or not safe. And we are definitely seen a trend where there may be fewer events, but bigger events again. But again, technology will play a big part, and also the current state of affairs will play a big part in which events they choose to go to or not go to, if that makes sense.
0: Yes. It really does, and going along that idea of the current state of affairs, and Patty, I know through GBAC and ISSA that your team work with many different types of experiential organizations. You mentioned anything from sporting to entertainment as well to hospitality. And we have seen some recent examples of larger gatherings, such as the recent Super Bowl here in the United States, as well as some business trade experiences, not only, say, here in Orlando for the United States, but also places globally, Dubai as well. What would you say is being done correctly in these instances to make sure that we're going safely?
1: They pay very close attention to their high touch points. They have done that risk assessment to look at that and talking what Andy is talking about from a standpoint of utilizing technology I think the sporting industry has been phenomenal in looking at some of these new technologies that are coming out to make the experience seamless for everybody. How people order food, where they're sitting, how they sit, as far as if you're coming in with two people, three people, four people sitting as a pod, basically, so that you have that contact tracing as well in the event that somebody a couple days later said, hey, I, I test positive. They do limit the seating from right now. We have limited capacity at the Super Bowl. I think they had the capacity of 60 or 70,000 and they had 20, uh, 25,000. And Super Bowl happened to be a a GBAC star facility and most of the bowl games, the college bowl games were held. In fact, some of the Rose Bowl was moved to a star facility at AT&T Stadium. They they really are looking at that. They are pushing the envelope too. I will say that they make sure that they're in compliance from what they need to be in compliance with what they're using as far as the technology and the solutions and the chemistries. But they also are pushing the envelope as far as how can we do better? How can we make it more effective and efficient? And then making sure that it's communicated what the expectations are as a fan as far as the whole journey. We're also seeing, you know, live events want to come back. And we're working with Live Nation right now as far as what does that look like for live events? And how do we make live events, whether it's in an amphitheater or whether an outdoor amphitheater versus indoor theater, what does that look like? And again, that whole journey for people. But what they've really paid attention to is their high touch points, looking at even from an engineering standpoint – What does this system need? I know that a lot of these facilities have been upgrading even some of their HVAC systems and indoor air quality uh, concerns. So it's been a journey for everybody. And there's not a cookie cutter out there. But I would say that there's a lot of lessons that we're going to see in the next, I would say, six months that are going to come forward through people's experiences.
0: And I think that kind of tees up a couple of questions that are coming from the audience right now. Andy, I'll go to you first. I know you kind of referenced it a little bit earlier of this idea of using your phones to ask questions instead of talking through a mic and all these other type of touch points, I I say touch points in quotes, where you have maybe an audience that is 100% virtual and an audience that is face-to-face coming together through a technological solution. What are you seeing as those key elements that are connecting these audience and things that maybe organizers can really start to plan for as they're looking to take these next steps into this evolution of the industry?
2: Yeah, I always say that you've got to start at the end of the event before you get to the beginning. And when you start thinking about your virtual event and your physical and your hybrid event coming together, you really do need to think about all those small details. Just before lockdown, I took part as a virtual attendee at a physical hybrid event, but nobody had thought about the microphones being passed around, so a bit, nobody in the audience could hear the questions. So I think you've really got to go back to basics, and we almost need to start relearning those skills. Swapcard obviously does have the ability to cross both format, so your attendees that are virtual will be able to see the same questions as the live. But you've really got to think about the format of the event to ensure that the, the virtual attendee specifically is going to get as rich an experience, because really at the end of the day, they may be within an office like I am today, and they won't be able to see some of the star parts of that event. So you've really got to think of the production elements as well.
0: And as we have a live look in on, Chris from Live Illustrations Art here, Patty, I'm going to bring it back to you for a similar question, but less technology specific, and really ask what do you think are the best tactics that we as organizers could be using today to potentially install confidence in winning back not only our exhibitors, but also attendees for our potential live or hybrid events in the future, and how does transparency really play a role in that?
1: Well. You know, I mean, I loved Andy's talk about go to the very end of this show. What do you want to accomplish? And part of the whole journey is going to be communication now i will say that i think people are starting to get fatigued a little bit hearing that oh we're covid ready so how are you really going to show that you're covid ready how is the facility showing it and it's those cues that they are going to be looking for that you need to really make sure they're in place knowing that hand sanitizer needs to be around not just at the front door but throughout the facility understanding that you're going to have people that are coming to the show that may have maybe a little tech challenged and they're going to want to have a little bit more help. But how can we do that? Not in a a way that they still are protected. We don't think about all the steps sometime. I loved Andy's discussion about the microphone and going to some of these new ways of having presentations, but it's the same way with even in the venues. We need to do that almost, I'll say a virtual walkthrough, but almost a walkthrough of the event from an experience standpoint, how are people going to feel and how are people going to experience an event with these new parameters in place.
0: With those new parameters in place, I think, Andy, I want to go to you for this one that is coming in from the audience. Potentially knowing that we may not have as much time on site at a physical face-to-face event here moving forward, how could event technology allow you to be more efficient once you, say, hit the tarmac, you're landed at the experience, so that you can make sure that you can really effectively use the most time that you have available to yourself at a fiscal experience.
2: Well, I, Yeah, I definitely feel like a part of the 365 community will be building and making the most of that the meetings that you can potentially schedule beforehand knowing which sessions you're going to go to i don't think when we go back to live events we will have as much flexibility we won't be able to wander around a conference room and decide i'm going to go to this session or that session i think that one of the ways that technology will really help will be for you allowing you to manage your agenda a lot better manage the people you're likely to meet at the venue and at the event and then i think as part of that you're going to be a lot more Uh, streamlined and selective of the the types of meetings that you're likely to to have. I think that there's going to be less sorry to say, the sort of tie-kicker meetings that you're just having for the sake of having them, I think that we're going to be a lot more streamlined in the time that we spend at venues. And I'll probably push that question across to Paddy, is that I think people, when they first go back to events, are going to be a little bit cautious of the time and, and, and interactions they have. So I think that they're going to probably limit their time a little bit more on site. So therefore, their schedule needs to be better managed. So that's a sort of a question for you, Paddy, and I think that's what I see happening.
1: I agree. We're seeing that even with some of the event planners that are coming to us that uh, plan, let's say, the whole journey for an event for a group or for individuals, we're finding that they are scripting out the entire journey more. How are they going to travel there? How are they looking at the hotels that they're staying at? What restaurants they might be going to? Really a true planning aspect of that whole journey. And while the technology is really amazing, it challenges some people. And it is interesting to know that I can have everything right there and it's going to tell me even some of the new technology of you can wear bands on your wrist that tell you who you've been close to during an event. So that let's say I came down with COVID-19 and two days later, it knows but because I wore my wristband that Andy and I were very close to each other in a booth the day before. So there's a lot of technology that's coming out that I don't think any of us know how much it's gonna end up being utilized, but some of it will stick around with us for the future.
0: And I think going along those lines of even the location technology, which you were mentioning, Patty, at least with my time at SwapCard also, there's kind of new technologies that are coming out within these various platforms of being able to say, set registrations up well ahead of time so that if you do have things like capacity limits, you as an organizer can set what those are based off of the safety measures that are, like Patty was mentioning, collaboratively decided upon and then able to almost manage out those different types of load balancing that exist within hybrid experiences and then ways that you can almost manage through that and then further detail that kind of attendee journey and attendee mapping, because I know as a uh, past organizer myself, we all love our debriefs. And in our last conversation, Patty, you mentioned that GBAC itself as a performance-based management system, which allows organizers to develop a program and obviously work to enhance and improve over time, because at the end of the day, we are all learning this together and navigating these waters. Why do you feel there's such an importance to have a system in place to really be able to assess and then improve with over time?
1: Ah, I have a cartoon that I usually show from that standpoint. Like in the whole audit standpoint, people think of audits as bad. And the reality is if we check things periodically, like a fire hose, when we really need it, we know that it's in place and it's ready for use. It's the same thing for a performance-based quality program. What we're looking at with GBX STAR is that knowing where your gaps are, and knowing what scenarios or planning out what scenarios might come up as far as your high risk and low risk, ensuring that you have enough um, supplies in place. It, it really makes your whole program go smoother, especially when we're looking at preparedness from an emergency response. And in, in this situation, an outbreak or pandemic, being able to start writing down when I've managed group, if it's not documented, it wasn't done for one thing. And if it's not written down, it probably won't get done. We need to start moving and articulating our programs because when we start doing that, then we can start putting goals in, in place to then be able to continually improve our programs. And that's where we start really being prepared and being able to sustain our programs and be ready for something next, because there will be something next.
0: That's really interesting. And as we go back once again to Chris from Live Illustrations to take a look at how our art is progressing, since Patty referenced a piece of material that she always likes to show off in that question to the audience. We have about 10 minutes left in this conversation. So be sure to uh, type in any type of final Q and A's you have for our incredible guests today. As we're starting to hit this final stretch of the conversation, Patty, I'd love just to hear for any of those organizers and planners who are listening and who may be either planning for a hybrid event say, Q4 of this year into 2022, or even trying to navigate those waters of uncertainty. What would be that either idea, reminder, or something to just make sure that they're keeping at the top of their mind, every step of the process that they're taking through this journey.
1: They probably have already picked their venue, but if they have not picked their venue, I think that's one of the things that they need to look at. Of course, for me, if it's a GBEC Star venue, that's awesome. There are some other accreditation certification programs out there as well, and see what that venue has put in place. If you as a, a event planner have to pick the service provider, then you need to decide, are they prepared? Do they have the right procedures, equipment that can be put in place? What kind of training do you need to have for yourself to be, you know, better versed, to be able to speak the language both with your facilities and with your service providers that are coming on board to be able to be prepared for your event participants? These are some of the things that maybe we didn't think about in the past. In fact, most people didn't think about, okay, what happens if there's a pandemic? But now we're aware of it. And we know that it can happen and we know that it can have devastating effects if we're not prepared. And what we don't want to have happen um, is if we have another outbreak, which, like I said, we're going to have something sometime. We don't want to get shut down again. We want to be able to say, okay, we're ready. Let's go. We got to do this and this. And that's where we want to get to.
0: No, that is really great. And Andy, I want to tee up almost the same question to you, especially from a technology side. What are those things that you are working with your clients today and having those conversations on things that maybe these organizers should be keeping in mind every step of the process, whether it be load balancing technologies through swap card or even other type of elements to make sure that we're coming back safely?
2: Uh, yeah we've really got to think about um that like patty said the in, the entry point back into events as we come back into events we need to be mindful of some of these challenges and i think that we should embrace technology we really do need to think about the the aspects that like we said we've never thought before and as far as balancing the amount of people that come into a venue one of the conversations that i had the other day was how do you manage the people as they arrive at a venue that is going to be a huge point and if as Paddy said, they're going to be wanting to do stream testing as they arrive. Where do we put the guys, not that that are fine, but where do we put the people that are fine? And how do we then clean that venue afterwards and ensure that it's safe again? So you're going to really have to think about this load balancing and the movement of, of attendees around the space. And I think this is going to be, a real challenge. And I think that certainly organizers will have to account for that in their budgets as well, because there's going to be a whole new section called COVID. And I think that they do need to be mindful of that as well.
0: And and Andy, I I think one of the things that you mentioned that is something I want to just take a minute and expand on a little bit is obviously the budgeting and things like that. And really that we are looking almost at times what could be considered a new business model as we start to take these next steps and start to say, okay, how do we continue to thrive under these almost new constraints? What type of conversations are you having around that today with those type of clients?
2: Yeah, we definitely are having to, to, to think about those budgeting questions um, up front. And when they're looking at technology, technology isn't a nice to have, it's a must. And this is where I think the big change has happened and I've been working in the events industry for the last 20 years and an app was always something that was a nice to have at an event. It was never you needed to have it. I think those questions are now, you know, going to be answered in the fact that, as Paddy said, there's going to be so many different elements to that app that you'll need as an organizer. Certainly all these touch points the fact that you don't have any business cards, you don't have any brochures. And we use um, a partner called Mapwise that allows us to navigate around the venue. For instance, so the frictionless sort of contact becomes more and more apparent. And I think these things are, you know, are going to become more and more important as we go into certainly the second part of 2021
0: i love that and as we're starting to enter the final minutes of today's conversation patty one of the questions that i just love to ask innovative leaders within our industry and obviously this is no type of insider trading type of questions but if i were to give you say a blank check or say a seed round of money to either develop out a new idea or to test something within the market to really drive innovation within the industry and push us to that next level. Where would you take and apply this fictional seed round? And really, how does it relate to your vision of the industry moving forward here in the coming years?
1: Wow, put me on the spot as a trade (laughs) association here. That is a really tough question. There are some really unique things that we're starting to see on the market. I think The technology and the automation and the robotics part of the technology is one of those areas that is going to be here to stay. How many of us now will pick up our phone and say, hey, Siri, and understanding what that means. And it's an area that I think has many applications. You talked about touch points, where those touch points are. We talk about mitigation strategies or robotics being able to be, let's say, a air, something that moves around the facility, whether it's occupied or not, in taking care of that facility. I've seen facilities where I've walked in and they screen my temperature. It screens my face. It recognizes who I am and that the little robot can go around the facility during a meeting And if all of a sudden my temperature starts going up, it can say, hey, Patty, it sends me a text. There are some very innovative and technologies from a standpoint of automation that we're going to see, and it it covers so many different um, industries.
0: No, that's really interesting and something that I think not only ourselves, but everyone listening are really eagerly and with high anticipation waiting to see all these things come to life as almost additional tools in our tool belt that we can use to not only get back to -to face-to-face experiences, but also continue to have them in a safe manner. As we're coming up on the final minutes of our conversation today, Patty and Andy, one of the things that I like to do here at Inside Events is we have our final quick fire for questions to wrap up our conversation today and just to allow the audience to get to know you a little bit better. Patty, to start us off, is there a CEO or marketing professional that you are following or keeping tabs on these days?
1: Oh, wow. I get a lot of news feeds all the time. There's not one particular one because so much is changing right now. It could be CNN. It could be ABC. It could be Fox News. I I get a news feed all the time. And I I haven't found one that I would say is better than the other. But I think today we have to be able to be kept up to date on a lot of different aspects.
0: What is something that you have failed at?
1: Oh, something that I have failed at. Sometimes I move so fast. I have a tendency to just want to jump and move that communicating the details to folks who are part of the team. I I know that sometimes I need to step back and say, okay, Patty, take a deep breath and let's communicate better. And that's probably one of, oh man, you really are getting to things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And in your eyes, what is the one single idea to keep top of mind when planning a successful event in 2021?
1: Personal behaviors, making sure that we all understand what's required of us as, because you can put all of the mitigation strategies in place, and it only takes one person to not, you know, wear their mask, social distance, not stay home when they're not feeling well. And so it's personal responsibility.
0: Well, that's great, Patty. Final question as we're wrapping up into the final minute. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew?
1: To make sure that we are open to new ideas, make sure that we keep abreast of all the things that are coming at us, and to take sometimes a deep breath and to enjoy life because life is short.
0: I love it. As we go back to Chris from Live Illustration's piece of art here today, I wanted to thank all of you from the Evolve 2.0 community who came in and listened to us live to the podcast audience. Uh, We will see you again next month with incredible content. And I wanted to just personally thank Swap Cards, Andy Johnson, the Strategic Account Manager, and Patty Olinger, the Executive Director of the Global Biorisk Advisory Council, GBAC, a division of ISS. Thank you both for your time today.
1: Oh, thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Inside Events podcast by SwapCard. Tweet us using the hashtag InsideEvents and be sure to subscribe via your favorite podcast platform to be the first to get access right as they drop. As always, stay innovative and see you next month.